This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of the National Model Railroad Association. With one of the world's largest railroad libraries at your fingertips, we make it even more fun. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Model Railway Show, 20 minutes of thoughtful and entertaining conversations with the people who keep our hobby moving forward. I'm Jim Martin. And I'm Trevor Marshall. Jim and I both hope you're enjoying our twice-monthly visits and telling your friends about us. Today, we'll be chatting to Stephen Priest and Frank Giacobbe, two men in charge of two very useful internet resources. That's right, Trevor. Frank is one of the co-founders of N-Scale Limited, a website devoted to the fine-scale, big-sky potential of N, with links and modeling tips for hobbyists in all scales. We'll have a link to N-Scale Limited on our site. But first up, another internet resource coming at you from no less than the NMRA a recently revamped and rapidly growing archive for both modelers and rail fans. Here's Jim. To quote the National Model Railroad Association website, the NMRA archives is now open for business. Uh, first of all, kudos to the NMRA for getting that sentence grammatically correct. <laughs> Second, thanks to NMRA magazine editor Stephen Priest for undertaking what is and will continue to be a considerable amount of work. There can be no doubt that model railroaders are living in an amazing age of information retrieval. But there can be no retrieval until all of those free-range photos, documents, plans, and maps are rounded up and digitally corralled. Stephen's been doing that through his company, Paired Rail Railroad Publications Limited, in Kansas City, Missouri. Stephen's company itself would make for an interesting interview, but this time around, we'll focus primarily on the NMRA archives. Stephen Priest, welcome to the Model Railway Show. Thank you very much. Now, Stephen, we hope our listeners have first visited the the NMRA Archives website and your own company website for a better insight into our conversation. The Archive currently has, what, 10,000 images, which sounds like a lot, but I'm guessing you're just getting started. How many other treasures are waiting to be unearthed? That would be a show in its own right. There are tons and tons of drawings, photographs, documentation, all kinds of things that have been donated to the NMRA over the years by individuals wanting to preserve that type of material, also corporations and companies. And as that generation continues to age and tries to figure out what to do with their materials, that's going to become more and more keynote in their plans for the future. And the NMRA, I guess, really is the sharp edge of the wedge for storage of this kind of material, is it not? You bet they are. And for a long time, that material was stored and is still stored in the basement of the headquarters building in Chattanooga. And that's a wonderful thing. It's preserved. It's humidity controlled, but it's tied to a certain physical location. So people have to visit that building, that site, to actually utilize it, or did until recently. And that was one of the premises behind what we did with the Historical Archives Solutions, my sub-company, working with the NMRA, was to get that material out so anybody can utilize it any time of day from their computer at home. And I suppose, too, aside from the benefits to modelers, this is another way of preserving these valuable materials. It, they become just that much safer again, do they not? Sure, you bet. And preservation has two real distinct faces. The first distinct face is you take an object, you take a photograph or a slide, and you preserve that. You keep it from fading, you keep it from getting wet, you scan it. But the second part of that is just as important, and that is you take that image and you make it available for people so people all around the world can look at it and can learn to care about it so they want to preserve it for the next generation. In other words, a big part of preservation is part two, which is instilling the value of that material in the next generation. And by making the stuff available, that's where the appreciation comes from because they can get their hands on it and they can say, wow, this is neat. I care about this and I'm going to take care of it. So you can see a, a momentum developing here then, if you will. Well, 
I sure hope so. The momentum is developing. I hope it continues to develop. I mean, I hope we get lots and lots and lots of people on there looking. Uh, a whole other venue, which we've just barely scratched the surface of, is manufacturers. Manufacturers are always looking for freight cars to produce, locomotives, research material on paint schemes and things. And so by taking this material, which has been sitting in a basement, basically, of a building, preserved, and getting that stuff out where manufacturers can get at it is going to really, really drive what's what's able to be made and the accuracy of what's, what's made. Not to mention streamlining the whole manufacturing process. Uh, so what can be found in the archives, and how does one go about finding and obtaining the images that you have, uh, Stephen? Well, basically, you log on to archive.nmra.org on your browser. If you're serious about things, you can register on the site, and that will allow you to download anything with a small payment through PayPal, and that material will then be available for a download. Basically, you get a super high-resolution download when you pay for material. Materials vary from about $2 to about $8, I believe, is, is around the highest on the site, and that's for like a three or four by five foot drawing of a locomotive or something. And basically you can search on the website. It has some metadata tagging or data which is assigned to images. Like you can look up a 280 steam locomotive or you can look up something on the New York Central. So you can use those set keywords to actually search. And actually on the site itself, there is a little keyword button. So if you're curious as to how to search, in other words, do you search by depot or station? Well, those keywords are listed on there. That'll give you an aid, a finding aid, of, uh, so how to search on the site, of words to search for on the site. Well, speaking as a Luddite, I've already done the dance through the website, and I found it was very uh, instinctive to use, uh, very user-friendly. So uh, kudos it to is, you. It, yep. it, it, has, it has a way to go. Obviously, you know, we're, we're very spoiled by the companies like Google and corporations like that that are able to put billions of dollars into search engines. And, of course, we're a limited thing, so the experience is not quite a Google experience, but we're working on it, and as time comes, uh, and funds become available to actually polish things, it'll get better and better over time. So stick with it. Um, it's not clunky by any means. It's a good site, but it's not quite to that Google level yet. I've got to say the prices, I think, are, are pretty reasonable. Uh, as would be expected, NMRA members pay less than non-members. But even the non-members, are you're not hosing them with high prices. Uh, I think it's pretty reasonable. This would be another way perhaps to encourage more hobbyists to join the NMRA, wouldn't it? Sure. Yeah, that was the goal, obviously. We want, to, we want to have member services. You know, the organization is the one that is the backbone in supporting this and running the campaigns to raise the funds to continue the scanning, which is really the scanning and the metadata. In other words, the data tags that go with the files so you can find stuff like SD7, EMD, 1947, Schlendeck, whatever. And those tags, and that's what takes the time. And, of course, time, you know, for people who are not independently wealthy, like most of us aren't, is, is keynote. But at the same time, you want to make sure that prices are in line so people will use it. You know, my goal when I was, was pitching this to the board of directors was, you know, it doesn't make any sense to charge $50 for a drawing when you can go to a train show and buy a drawing or a similar drawing for half that. We have got to make this so it's economically feasible and attractive for people to use. And make the money through volume. Yeah, sure, sure. I think you partially touched on this, Stephen, but how do you acquire all of these visual materials? And is there a process for those with extensive private collections to bequeath them to the NMRA? A lot of this, the vast majority of this material, was donated by people who were in the NMRA who had basements full of this stuff and said, hey, you know, I'm getting older. I, I Number one, I don't want to store this stuff. It's taking up space. What do I do with it? And what do I do with it so it'll be utilized and appreciated? and something will happen with it. And again, the, the goal there was the NMRA, you know, opened their coffers and said, hey, you know, here, let's start a repository of this stuff with the idea of someday being able to do something with it. Well, that day is here, and the something we're doing with it is the online archive. So by all means, if, if folks have collected things they're sitting on, not knowing what to do with it, wondering what to do with it, the NMRA is a, is a 503C organization where people can basically get a taxable free donation. You have to get your collection evaluated and donated, and then you're, you're set, plus the material 
materials will go to some place that is going to really appreciate it and really, really utilize it, which is the important factor yeah. here. Will the plans and images in NMRA magazine and its predecessors also uh, be a part of this archive in the future? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, again, part of the beautiful process of, of getting things in a digital format is the fact that once they're digital, they can be utilized, and they can be utilized quickly. You can do several things. You can search them. You can alter them quickly and easily. And more than anything, you can distribute them quickly. And here's the goal. Here's a, here's a goal that a lot of people don't think about. Let's say that you have a love for RDCs, you know, rail diesel cars, and you want to write an article on them, but you weren't around when there were any but RDCs. But you know all kinds of stuff about them because you've done research. The beautiful thing about this is you go on the NMRA archive, you put an RDC, you find a bunch of photographs and things about them, you can find stuff about the Bud Company, and all of a sudden you have all the materials that you need to go ahead and complete and fill out your story on Bud RDCs. So it is a research library for the sake of publishing and for writing and for, for filling in those, those gaps, those blanks that a lot of us have in our own personal collections, you know, when we're trying to put together a story or something talking about it, a particular item. Now, do you foresee providing links to other magazines and SIG archives as well to make your site a one-stop uh, shopping site for rail fans and model railroaders? That is definitely the goal. This really is not tied at all into just NMRA activities. The goal is to make things available to anybody out there that wants to utilize stuff. The Internet is what really changed our hobby in the first place. You know, Irv Atherin used to crank the same F7 out years after year after year after year. All of a sudden, the Internet hit, and you educated an entire generation of people quickly about things. They could research an F unit and find out exactly what the Pennsylvania Railroad F units looked like, and that became a challenge to manufacturers. All of a sudden, they couldn't crank out the same old boring F unit. They had to make it correct for railroads and correct for eras. So the Internet is what drove this great change in our hobby in the first place and now it's we can also drive the research end of it which is a beautiful thing now Stephen, you're a santa fe enthusiast you, you've already done this sort of archiving work for that sig group did that experience give you a running start for this project yes it did uh, actually i did that that archive the, the atsf ry.com site is actually a personal site it's not through the santa fe modelers organization oh, okay we did that because i worked for the railroad i worked in the engineering department with the santa fe railroad and over several different times they had large dumps of material where they were just going to throw things away. And a friend of mine, Russell Crump, gathered a lot of it. I gathered a lot of it. Other people gathered a lot of it. And we ended up with the same personal problem as the NMRI had as an organization. All this material, people needed to get a hold of it. How do we make that available? Well, the answer is obvious. It's the Internet because it's in everybody's house. Now, you are a master model railroader. It's interesting to see that your son, Joel, is, if I understand correctly from the magazine article, is working toward the same goal. How old is Joel? Joel's 11. 11? Uh, he's quite aggressive like his parents are <laughs> and uh, loves railroading. And we bought him an, an Alan McClellan, uh, who was originally the V&O uh, builder, designer, uh, think tank behind all that, uh, bought him a DVD, which was brought out a number of years ago by Pentrex, and he fell in love with it. He used to watch the thing over and over and over and over again. So when we first started talking about building a railroad, he went right to the VNO, and that's what he wanted to do. And then we started thinking, hey, if we're going to build a 4x8, that's really all you need to get your MMR, so why don't we combine the two projects, get a railroad built for you, and at the same time, you can go through all the steps and processes of building your MMR, which really is a fantastic learning experience for anybody. Yeah. If you're 11 years old or if you're 60. You know, you run through all the things that are model railroad, senior electrical, benchwork, engineering, da-da-da-da-da, and it's that balance, that overall umbrella balance that makes you a good modeler. Joel's obviously in a great environment with some great mentors. Uh, we're going to have to wrap this up, Stephen, but thanks for being with us here today on the Model Railway Show, and we'll remind our listeners the NMRA archives is easily accessible and, more importantly, accessible to all. Uh, thanks, Stephen. Hey, the honor and pleasure is all mine. Thank you very much. <music> 
thanks, Jim, and thanks, Stephen. You know, Jim, I'm really glad you talked to Stephen. I've been a big fan of his work. I've seen him published in the magazines, of course, and I also think it's great that he's taken on this role with the NMRA to bring this archive to the Internet. What a great resource for people everywhere. You bet, and being editor of NMRA magazine as well, visit his website. We've got the link here on our website just to see what he does for a living. It's amazing stuff, the the books he publishes, the model consultation he does for manufacturers, all of that kind of thing. Well, and of course, his son, Joel's no slouch either. 11 years old, and look at what he's doing in the pages of this magazine. How would you like to be 11 and having someone like Stephen as your dad and Al McClelland and and Tony Custer as your buddy and mentor? What a great way to start. And of course, he's working on his master model railroader. I'm not sure who the youngest MMR is, but I bet he's in the running if he gets this. I think so. It might well, actually. We should just look it up sometime. Maybe we'll share it with our uh, get him on the next show. Time out. Yeah, you yeah. bet. Uh, yeah, there you fine. go. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, though, be, while you're waiting for us to put that show together, why not stop by the modelrailwayshow.com to find the interesting links related to this show? We'll have links to Stephen's site, and of course, we'll have links to our Flickr gallery where you can see some of the pictures from people who have been on the show, and you can also find us on Facebook if you're into the whole social networking thing. Yeah, and the best way to listen to the show is by signing up for a free podcast subscription. You can find us on iTunes, podcast.com, and podfeed.net. You'll never miss an episode. Well, now it's Trevor's turn to surf the net. He's off to N-Scale Limited, a site you're going to want to visit regardless of your preferred modeling scale. It's a site that shows how far N-Scale has come from its crude beginnings nearly 50 years ago. The web is full of great information for model railway enthusiasts, and the hobbyist who looks beyond his personal focus is often rewarded. Here's a case in point. Jim and I have gravitated to larger scales, but a chance encounter with N-Scale Limited has me rethinking that decision some days. N-Scale Limited is a website and online forum devoted to modeling in 1 to 160. The co-founders, Frank Giacobbe and Chris Brimley, are both accomplished model builders, and they use their website to share their techniques for impressive big city structures. But don't let the name fool you. From discussions of structure details to printable billboards, I've found a ton of interesting information on N-Scale Limited that I can use in my own work. You might too, and you will definitely be awestruck by the structures being built by talented modelers and shared on this site. To tell us about N-Scale Limited and share his thoughts on the state of N-Scale today, I'm pleased to have Frank on the line from his home in New Jersey. Frank has been building scale models for most of his life, but he received an N-Scale train set as a gift in 2003, and he hasn't looked back. Frank, welcome to the Model Railway Show. Hello, Trevor, and thank you for having me on the show. It's great to be with you. Now, you launched N-Scale Limited a couple of years ago with another N-Scale enthusiast, Chris Brimley. How did this come about? Chris and I actually did not know each other. We were writing sort of blogs, model railroading blogs, independently. And we were writing really about the same types of topics, you know, big city, urban structures and same era, same basic location. We both had the same interest in the the same railroads. And so we found ourselves following each other's sites. And we started emailing each other and and sort of going back and forth and and collaborating. And before we knew it, we, we were sort of working on projects behind the scenes together, and we, we really figured that it would make a lot more sense to pull our efforts and, and have one bigger site so that the fans that we had gained over time could come to one place and find what we were both doing. Now, obviously, this isn't the first online community that's been devoted to N-Scale. There's been Yahoo groups. There's been other places, I'm sure. But why did you see the need for a community? Was this a, just a natural outgrowth of the blog, or did you say that there was something missing there that you wanted to fill in? Well, I, 
think it was a natural sort of organic progression from where we were, but I don't think it was really a conscious decision to create a community per se. I think that, at least for me, model railroading really isn't about trains. For me, it's more about creating the environment that the trains run in because the people who are viewing a layout most of them have no idea what an F7 or a PA1 even is, but they know every single one of them knows what a building looks like, what a sign looks like. They're used to all of those details. So, you know, I've always sort of had the structure first mentality, and I wasn't really finding that on the web anywhere or even in magazines to sit down and read an article about those things that I was really interested in. And Chris was sort of doing the same thing. You know, he was writing about those same basic topics. And so, as you said, the site sort of grew from that point, but it was kind of that structure first mentality that I think we were both following. Now, I guess we should make clear that it isn't uh, entirely about structures, but they certainly are front and center on N-Scale Limited. Your focus is N, but you must have a number of modelers who work in other scales on the site as well and on the forums. What sort of useful things are people going to find at the site? The site covers everything from basic tools and techniques. You'll find, you know, how to apply an, uh, an ink and alcohol wash, or you may find how to use calipers. And that's sort of thing. But then there's also some historic research, the proper mailbox color, for example, to use on your layout or the, or the proper telephone booth for your era and those sorts of things. And then there's all sorts of scratch building plans and free downloads and spotlights of reader work and that sort of thing. And it really doesn't matter if you're an, you're an N-scale modeler or not. You, you know, there's all of those things can, can be adapted. You know, learning how to dry brush in N-scale applies to any scale. And a sign can be scaled, a plan can be scaled. So, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at sites and, and magazines that are intended for all sorts of scales, and I spend a lot of time reading science fiction modeling sites and, and figure modeling and all those sorts of things, because I find that that really applies everywhere. And I hope that people could see N-Scale Limited beyond the N-Scale in the name, because I, I think it really does translate. Now, running a forum as you do, you must have a pretty good idea of what's on the minds of N-Scalers today. What's making the community tick in 1 to 160? You know, I think that it's really the same for just about every scale. Everybody's just trying to build the best that they can to be unique as they can and, and build the most realistic things. On N-Scale Limited, I don't think it really matters if somebody's doing a kit or a kit bash or scratch building. All of those people are sharing information and really just trying to help each other. Our forum is fairly relaxed, so there's a good mix of people. You can find just about anything. And while it is focused on structures, in a lot of cases, you see a lot of big scenery, big structures, building really vertical buildings. There's really a good mix and a lot of, a lot of different things to find there. Looking elsewhere on the web and even talking to people about magazine content and things like that. I often hear from end scalers who feel that the scale is being neglected by manufacturers or even by the press in recent years, that things were better in the good old days and that, you know, despite the fact that end scale is the second most popular in North America after HO, that they feel it isn't getting the attention it deserves. Do you see that kind of thing on the end scale limited forums? Well, I do definitely see people complaining about some shortcomings in end scale, things that are just not available. It's some Somewhat disheartening when you see an HO manufacturer, a big HO manufacturer, releasing something in HO that, that's not available in N and never becomes available. But there's really great manufacturers that are releasing brand new kits all the time, especially kind of in that kit focus of structures. Custom Model Railroads, Lundy Studios, they're all coming out with sort of the structure that appeals to the N scale limited crowd, those vertical big city buildings. But there's small manufacturers out there too, like Will Models, Paul the Bear, that are coming out 
out with really interesting things. So I think it's out there, but I think the biggest problem with N-Scale is that it suffers from extremes. So you either have structures that are two stories or you have structures that are 15 stories. There's no five, six, seven story buildings. Or from a style standpoint, there's a lot of little brick buildings with storefronts or really plain sort of Japanese import structures that don't have a whole lot of detail. And you're sort of missing that really prototypical art deco buildings with a lot of character, you know, the, the corbels and all of the detail that goes on to those sort of mid-century buildings. I think that overall, N-Scale has come a long way, and I think that the things that modelers need are out there. I think you just need to know where to look for them. And I guess that leads into my next question. My co-host, Jim Martin, works in S-Scale, and the pickings are definitely slim there, but he's often said to me that he doesn't really mind because he loves to scratch build, and in terms of what he needs, he can do that. Is that the answer for N-Scalers who feel there's just not enough product available that they need to start building more of what they need? Because obviously this isn't holding you back based on the buildings that you're doing. Well, I think that scratch building tends to scare some people away. I haven't done a tremendous amount of scratch building myself. I tend to focus more on kit bashing or adapting a kit, so adding small details, new window trim, um, printed window mullions, corbels, you know, those sorts of things that allow me to completely change the character of a kit. So potentially I could take a kit and use it three or four times on a layout, and if it's done the right way, hopefully the person viewing it doesn't actually know that it's the same structure. So scratch building is great if you feel comfortable doing that. And I know a lot of people on the site that are comfortable doing that. I think it's really about where you are and what you feel good doing. For me, I think the kit bashing and adapting pieces really works well, and I think that works for a lot of modelers really well. And I guess one of the great things about N-Scale Limited is that it's a place where people who do have the skills to do that can show people, well, this is how I made that 15 or 30-story skyscraper and stuff like that. Sure. I know you started this because you wanted to share the work that you were doing, but now that you're doing this and you've got an audience, are you working to change the perception to to demonstrate through the site that N-Scale can be a builder scale as well? Yes and no. I don't particularly like the phrase builder scale or even the word craftsman in a lot of ways because I think that that can somewhat scare a modeler away from end scale. If the perception is that you have to build everything because there's not enough available commercially, I think that can really have a negative impact on the end scale community. So I think what I really try to do is put that structure first sort of mentality because if you look at the really popular layouts like George Selios's Franklin and South Manchester. To me, that's a successful layout because there's such a focus on scenery and the city and all of the details that go into it. You know, you could run a straight out of the box train on that layout and it's still great because there's that illusion of this bigger, grander scale. So I think that with N-Scale Limited, it's not necessarily about promoting N-Scale as a builder scale as much as it is really trying to promote the realism and the, and the research that goes into making something that's realistic. Because I spend a lot of time, probably more time, on photo archive and history sites than I do actually modeling because I'm just looking for that realism and that sense of how many signs should be on this structure and, you know, is there a business that I can call this building 
that people don't know about, but it's a real business that was out there. And so I do a lot of that type of research. And to me, that's the important thing that N-Scale Limited does. And that will be very useful for people in other scales as well. Beyond the physical size of the structures that you can build an entire city and fit it on top of a, uh, a ping pong table, what other advantages do you see for modelers working in N these days? I think that in N-Scale, you can convey that grander illusion with actually less detail than you can in larger scales. That's because if something's missing in HO or O, it sort of glares at you and you say, well, wait a minute, shouldn't there be a pipe there or shouldn't there be something there? And in N-Scale, I kind of find that if you have all of the things that people expect, if something is missing, you can sort of get by with it. I think that the representation of an object or a representation of what the viewer expects helps that illusion go a long way. Well, there's a lot of stuff for people to think about and uh, some big ideas about N-Scale today. Frank, thanks for joining us on the Model Railway Show today. It's been a treat. Thank you, Trevor. Frank Giacobbe is co-founder of N-Scale Limited, an online community and showcase of the best that N-Scale has to offer. Thanks, guys. Trevor, you are too young to remember when N-Scale had its beginnings in the mid-60s, but I was there. It wasn't even called N back then. It was called Treble O. I do remember the early stuff from the 70s that ran as, uh, well, running might not be the right uh, description for it. But, you know, it has come a long, long way. And one of the things that really impressed me about the site that Frank and his partner Chris are putting together, N-Scale Limited, is the structure modeling that they're doing. They're really taking advantage of the small scale of N to do some fantastic big city structures, and you think, well, N-scale, you can't build in it. Baloney. This stuff is fantastic. Especially with the modern techniques we have now for model building, too, such as rapid prototyping, laser cutting, and doing it in your computer. If, if you have those skills, you're off to the races. too small. That's to right. Yeah. Well, we're off to the races, so what's up next? Well, next on the show, my guest will be Brandon Beyer, president of the Holmes Model Railroad Club, just down the road from our studio, about what to do when the landlord says bye-bye. And I'll be talking to Joe D'Elia. He's the owner of A-Line Proto Power West, but he's also the owner of the RPM Conference. It's the new show that's taking over from Sunshine's famous railroad prototype modeler show in Naperville, Illinois. It has a new name, a new owner, and a new location this year, so be sure to tune in for all the details on that. Thanks, as always, to Dave Woodhead for the music and Otto Vondrack for our web design. Chris Abbott is our technical advisor. For Trevor Marshall, I'm Jim Martin. We'll catch you next time on the Model Railway Show.